Hi, and welcome to Transform with Tina. I am Tina Marks, your host. Today's guest is a psychotherapist in Los Angeles, California. He's been practicing for 27 years. He has been known as the media go-to expert for numerous news channels, radio shows. He was on the reality show Obsessed on the A&E channel. He was a former uh, staff member at Cedars-Sinai in the Department of Psychology and also in the Department of Addiction at Kaiser Permanente. He has his own podcast, Mindfulness for the Soul, his own YouTube channel, Psych It Up. He is a regular blogger on the Huffington Post, and he has two books out, one of which I'm just about done reading, which we're going to talk about today. Please welcome Johnson Paris. I said it right, right? Silimparis. Silimparis. That's what I said. Close. You <laughs> did a great job. John. Thanks for the intro. Thank you. Thanks it's for having so me. It's so nice to see you in person. We've been talking now for probably yeah. like a week and a half, and I feel like I know you, and this is the first time that we're seeing each other. And um, I know. I'm just so happy to have you here on so many levels. Um, I've said to you that I almost feel like you're my twin in a lot of ways because we have gone through a lot of the same experience. And I think I even said to you what I know I said to you, you know, meeting somebody like you makes me feel less alone because I don't get the opportunity to meet many people that kind of have gone through what I've gone through um, and our past. So let's just start there. Uh, how did you decide to become a psychotherapist? Well, uh, you know, everyone says things happen for a reason. I never say that, but this one has a little bit of that. Um, I was in therapy myself when I was in living in New York in the 1980s. Um, I mean, I grew up in New York, but I came back from college. I was in New York from 1983 until I moved to Los Angeles, and I had been struggling with my own anxiety issues, uh, issues with my father, issues with a lot of other things. And so eventually I decided to go see a therapist with a lot of resistance because nobody in my family had ever been to therapy. My parents were both immigrants. And to them, the word depression was like an import to them. It, it didn't make sense to them. You know, they didn't understand that. It was all, you know, chin up, pull, your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get through it. But I couldn't. And so I needed some help. Anyway, so I was lucky enough to meet a really good therapist who got me through a very difficult time. I'm still in touch with her. Fabulous woman. And she really saved my life. I mean, she really taught me how to um, become a man and to, to respect my feelings and to respect myself and lots of other things. And so at some point I realized, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. I want to get people through what I've been through. I want to normalize this for people. Um, and I also want to have my own freedom and I want to make a good living. So uh, it all sort of came together. And then so that sort of led up to me saying, when I, when I turned 29, I thought, you know what, I don't want to live in New York anymore. I want to live in California. I want to get my master's degree and I want to become a psychotherapist. And, and I did it. It took a little while, but I did do it. So that's kind of the, the beginning of it. And the reason why I said everything happens for a reason is because what landed me in therapy was the fact that I grew up with someone like my father who had a lot to do with the way that I felt. And so maybe that was the reason that, you know, if you believe in that stuff, that was the reason why I had to go to therapy and why I became a therapist because of my father's treatment of me. So now would you say that everything happens for a reason or are you still speculative on that? 
No, I'll say that sometimes that is the case, but I can't say that across the board. Yeah. And, you know, I just had a conversation. I um, had an interview with my niece and we were talking about this. And I, for the longest time, I would say to myself, why me? Why can't I have a loving father? Why am I, you know, and, and just as you just said, if I had not had that experience, I might not be doing what I'm doing because you know what? It ingrains in empathy and compassion because you're going through it yourself, right? And if you, if you are empathetic and you are compassionate, you don't want anybody else going through this. That's right. That's right. So as you and I have discussed, there was a lot of trauma involved too. Yes. Uh, there were deaths in the family. There was abuse. And so trauma alters the central nervous system. And so from that point on, no matter what you do, no matter how much alcohol you drink or how many medications you take or how many trips around the world you do or how much money you have, that trauma is always going to affect your central nervous system and you have to work it all the time. I don't think I'm ever going to get quote unquote cured, but I am 85 to 90% better than I was, you know, back in 1983. And that's good. That's pretty good. Exactly. I have to help my central nervous system stay uh, online because it goes offline very easily. But now you're better uh, able to identify when it's going off. Correct. And you know, what's interesting. Um, I shared with you that I recently took an ADD test. You know, I, I was pretty convinced I already had, you know, I have three different kinds. And I think a lot of people have anxiety without even realizing it. You don't have to have a full-blown panic attack to have anxiety. You know, for me, I feel like now, finally, I'm saying, and I think I had underlying anxiety my whole life, but I thought that that was normal, right? So, like, can you give outside of the obvious, outside of somebody having a full-blown panic attack where they can't breathe, what would be some of the signs for somebody to go, hey, this is not normal. I am I'm having a high level of anxiety that's not considered normal that I really need to address. You mean if somebody who usually just has sort of garden variety stress, all of a sudden they have a panic attack? No, what I'm saying is that some people think... I don't know if I have a lot of anxiety because you know, they've been used to a lot of anxiety since they were children. Oh, I see, I see. Right, I see. so when do you go, right. oh, you know, the, and the central nervous system, right. exactly, right. it will catch up to you. Right, all right, so everyone, right, suffers ups and downs, stressors and stuff like that. But if you're seeing uh, insomnia, if you're seeing excessive worry, if you're seeing failure to fulfill role obligations, like I can't take care of my kids, I can't get to school, I can't get my work done, I'm afraid to go on vacations. If you're seeing impairments and changes in your life like that, then it's probably an indication that you need to go talk to somebody and or maybe see a psychiatrist for medication evaluation. But that's really the signs where you're seeing changes uh, that you didn't see before. But you're right. A lot of people have anxiety. Look, a lot of people have depression and don't realize it. Depression doesn't always come across as somebody that can't get out of bed and they're always sad and always crying. Depression can be extreme irritability. It could be edginess. It could be pessimism, treating people poorly. So uh, you're right. It's a really good question. You have to really look at sort of the larger picture of the symptomology. Yeah. For me, my whole life, my mom always used to say, why are you so impatient? Not only was I impatient, but things that would not trip somebody normally up would absolutely 
take everything out of me. Like maybe right. leaving, coming home from Los Angeles from a trip, I would be nervous driving in the car. And I, you know, it's not like I had this full blown car accident or anything like that. I mean, not more than the normal, but, and then the minute I reached my destination, I would feel safe and I'm in my own house. And I'm looking back on things like that. You know, people are like, what's, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But, and I felt even worse because they're saying it's not a big deal. Why am I, why is it such a big deal? Why, I guess the best word was overreacting. I would overreact right. to most everything unless right. it absolutely went my way. So that usually comes from becoming, having become overadapted. You're overadapted to little things that in your mind could become big things. And big things have been really devastating to you as a kid as they were for me. So we are constantly in a flinch mode where we are constantly scanning the horizon for anything that could go wrong, even though we know we don't need to do that, but we still do it anyway, because that's what our central nervous system knows. We're always in survival mode. So it's very common for that to happen. You know, and it's something that I read in your book today that when we're, you're talking about absolutes, like mm -hmm. instead of the gray, it's, you know, if I don't do that, it's, going, it's the worst case scenario. And you actually did a post on your Instagram today by Carl Jung that said, do you remember what it was? I've got it written down. Oh, those who uh, look outside dream, those who look inside awaken, but that's not what I, w I wanted to bring up. There was something else that I wanted to bring up. Um, hmm. Carl Jung quote from today. But that was the, I think that was the quote from today, but that's, I just oh. got sidetracked because that's not what I, w that's not where I was going with this, but um, just talking about absolute. So why don't we talk about that? You know, the, the black okay. and, the, and the words. Right. You so talk a lot about in your book about words that can really be self-limiting right. and defeating for us. So people who suffer from chronic anxiety, and again, as we're discussing, it's in varying degrees. There's a lot of high-functioning people out there that have chronic anxiety, but for whatever reason, they are wired differently and they respond to it differently. And there's other people that don't leave their homes because of anxiety. Right. But one of the ways that we see people that have chronic anxiety in terms of their behavior is language that they use. And they tend to think in absolute terms. And there are four words that are very common to this family, this formula of using absolutes. And absolutes, in our mind, we think that if we think in absolutes, we create safety for ourselves, but it actually puts us in a really small box. So they are the words like should, shouldn't, never, and always. And there's a few others, but um, for example, the should. The should is very tyrannical. It's a really tough word because when you use should, it creates a lot of guilt. It creates uh, this concept that there's a manual out there in the world that you're supposed to follow. And if you don't, you're a bad person or someone's going to get hurt or your family's going to get hurt or you're going to lose your money. And I tell people to try to replace the word should with the word prefer. I would prefer to go to the gym this morning instead of I should have gone to the gym or you should have bought that house, or you shouldn't have married that person. So those are types of words that people use. Uh, and then never and always are very dangerous to use because they're irrational words to say, I'm never going to get better, or I'm always going to feel this way. Those are very negative sort of predictive injunctions that we put on ourselves that have nothing to do with reality, but it's the way an anxious person needs to think. They always think in terms of never and always because they think it makes them feel safe. John, do you think, so your words, do you think that those words, I mean, I think all of us have a certain level of feeling unworthy. 
as, as adults, okay? Children don't have that. And I'm going to go into that in a moment. But I think that most of us have that. So when you say that to yourself, I mean, I was in a class, um, cognitive behavioral therapist, in which you practice that as well. And they were saying that, you know, uh, the average person has about 55,000 thoughts going through their mind every single day. 85% are negative self-limiting beliefs, right? Correct. So, so, so what we say to ourselves absolutely brings about our, our outcome, correct? Yes. yes. So it goes cognition. I make a conscious thought about something. There's an event. Something happens. I get scared. COVID. Then there's a conscious thought that I make about it. Oh my God, the world's falling apart. And then I have an emotion. Yes. In the old days, it used to be, well, it's, you need cognitive behavioral therapy. So we just need to help you change your thoughts. But that has changed now. So now it's the combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and what you and I talked about the other day and mindfulness or self-regulation skills. Yes. Because sometimes my thoughts and changing them and restructuring my thinking so that my inner dialogue is different is not enough. I need to find ways to calm my central nervous system. And what would are, some of those ways be? Well, there are many, but one of them is doing a little mindfulness timeouts throughout the day. I suggest for people to do three times a day where you sit in a chair quietly, and this basically is basically three or four minutes, and you do a special type of breathing that's called the four, seven, eight. You breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for seven seconds, and you exhale for eight seconds, and then you say certain affirmations to yourself. While you're doing that, you're also using what's called sensory perception. You're noticing what you're smelling, what you're hearing, and possibly even what you're thinking. And it's basically three minutes of that three times a day. And that, the research is very good on that, that it's like taking a little tiny nap. That brings your central nervous system down because you're checking in with yourself and you're slowing everything down. How is that different from meditation? It's, they're, they're like close cousins. Meditation is different because meditation is harder to do. And if you're anxious, it's very difficult to keep your mind focused on breathing. Meditation is big on focus on your body, focus on your body. This is different. This is shorter and it's just quick sensory perception to get your parasympathetic nervous system, the one that calms you down to get it back online. Meditation is too challenging for people with anxiety disorders. It takes too Because they can't calm the mind enough. And they get frustrated and then they give up. And then they beat themselves up probably more and cause more anxiety. Right. So right? I just gave you a thumbnail of a thumbnail. There's many other exercises that you can listen to on Mindfulness of the Soul, my podcast, on how to bring down the central nervous system. There are things you can do with your hands. There's a tapping technique that you can use. We were talking about that. Uh, yes. It's really all about self-regulation now. Mm -hmm. um, it's really about finding ways to calm the central nervous system because that's really what's happening. Your mind is racing, but sometimes your body can't catch up to your mind and you have to help your body do that. Do you think nowadays or for, for a long time now that, you know, there's too many doctors just prescribe an anti-anxiety medication or, a, you know, medication for depression? How, how do you feel about that? I'm a big believer in medication because I took medication when I started therapy. And then when I got a divorce, I took medication. When uh, both my parents died uh, in 2004, 13 days apart, uh, I needed medication to get myself through the day. So I'm a big believer in it. But 
I believe it in conjunction with therapy. So if you just do the medication, you're not going to get the help that you need in terms of behavioral. So look at medication as smoothing out the rough edges of a table. Okay, so the sharp edges of a table, I'm touching a table now. Medication will smooth that out like a piece of sandpaper, but it doesn't make the problem go away. So they have to work together, not alone and on its own. Now, a lot of people are very anti-medication and they just want to do the therapy, which I help them with. But the people that are severely symptomatic, I strongly encourage them to consider medication because you need to be able to function. You cannot be dysfunctional for six months to a year and hoping for things to get better. So they have to work together. Right. So when you say smoothing out the edges, it, it allows you to be more open to therapy and get to the root of the problem, yeah. correct? Yeah. Exactly. So it's, you don't wake up in the morning so depressed and that getting up and getting to the shower or to the kitchen is so difficult. It still might be difficult, but it gives you a little more energy. You don't obsess about a negative thought as much. I kind of say it to them. It's like a passing cloud. Here's the cloud on the right side of your horizon. When you're on medication, you're watching that thought and you're thinking about it, but then it passes. When you're not on medication, that cloud does not move and you are stuck there and you're sedentary and you could get worse and your world gets smaller and smaller. Do you think depression and anxiety and, well, let's leave OCD because I don't, I don't want to go there today, but do you think depression and anxiety are learned behaviors? Is it in our DNA? Is it environmental from our children? Good question. So no one's sure yet, but what they do know is that everyone's brain is wired differently. So it's a combination of being born with a particular wiring and then also what happens to you in your environment. Look, I grew up, as I said, with uh, a difficult father and there was trauma in the house. But if you met my younger brother, who's six years younger than me, he's completely different than me. Same, same. This guy. Yeah. Now, I don't know. He may have all kinds of issues underneath on there. I don't know. But he is not wired like I am. He is not edgy. He's not anxious like me. He doesn't worry about a lot of things. So we came from the same litter, and yet we're different. So I think genetically he's different. So the, the, the metaphor is, and it's a weird metaphor because it uses a gun, but I like it. It's uh, genetics loads the gun, and then the environment, what happens to you, pulls the trigger you know, people that have, that don't have severe depression and anxiety and only get anxious and depressed situationally, you know, if somebody dies or there's a pandemic going on, but people that have it ongoingly have some kind of dysfunction in the brain. And that's why medication is used to restabilize that dysfunction and have the serotonin firing correctly in your brain. But is uh, my understanding from, because I've never been on uh, antidepressant, but my understanding is not supposed to be used continually over years and years and years. Like you said, it's is to to get the serotonin going again, but is it supposed to be ongoing? Many schools have thought about that. I have patients that have been on medications for 20 plus years on and off or regularly. There are some people that have such a, a pervasive mental illness that they have to be on medication and that medication keeps them alive, keeps them going, keeps them going to work. So different schools of thought around that. I, if, if I needed to take medication the rest of my life and it helped me to function, okay. I would have no qualms about it because I don't have any stigma around it. Right, exactly. And you were talking about that in your book too, because there's a lot of stigma around being depressed or having anxiety. Um, and I think we really need to de-stigmatize 
destigmatize this and get this out there. So, you know, because people that are suffering don't want to talk about it because they feel embarrassed. Do you think that adds to the problem? So somebody that keeps everything inside and doesn't want to be talking about it, uh, does that add to the depression, add to the... It does. It does. Isolation will uh, over magnify uh, your condition and your symptoms. That's why we want people to reach out. That's why we thought people would get worse during the social distancing during COVID-19. And they have. And they have. And we may see negative results in the future about people that, you know, had increased drug and alcohol addiction, increased depression. The world, like I said, got smaller. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, the stigma can also be what's called internalized stigma, which is where I'm hearing all the things that people say. My family says, you know what, there's no such thing as depression, or if you're on medication, you're weak. I internalize that, and I start believing all those things that I hear because I didn't reach out and talk to people that can actually help me. So we need to connect those people to other people that are suffering from what they're suffering. Look, there's a whole world out there of people that suffer from mental illness and we just don't know who they are because they don't tell you or they stay at home or they're they're ashamed about it. So there's tons of people out there. So I always tell people, enjoy your good mental health. You, Tina, bright, intelligent woman, enjoy your mental health. I know you get anxious sometimes, but you're <laughs> a high-functioning person for having some anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. I Well, I'm also that person, you know, it's either black or white. And as you said in your book, I mean, you could do five things right and something half wrong. And, um, you know, I go for that. So I, uh, so what do you do for that? Is it? So what I always tell people, you know, you know how the expression is always trust your gut, trust your intuition. Oh, I want to have a question about that too when you're done. Well, listen, if you have an anxiety disorder, and this is what I've learned over 27 years of being a therapist and also from being a client myself is when you have an anxiety disorder, you can forget about trusting your gut. That is the stupidest thing to ever think about because, because I'm in survival mode, because I'm, I'm a traumatized child, uh, and because my reaction is always the first to protect myself, I cannot trust my gut immediately. When I get anxious, my first instinct is always going to be the wrong one. And if I pull back and I do a little mindfulness meditation, I get the right intuition right, but I have to wait and pull back that first anxious instinct. So you just answered my question because I was gonna say, how do you know if you're being triggered or how do you know if it's your intuition? That's because right. I, 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 and you write this in your book and that's where I really identified and it really resonated with me because you say in your book, for example, if you're not feeling safe, okay, you go into your con- conditioned, I use conditioned mind or your conditioned, whatever it is, you go into a conditioned state and it's almost, like you can't help it. And I experience that. I go, when I don't feel safe and I feel like the alarm bells are going off, the stuff that will come out of my mouth and the actions that I do, I mean, granted, I've gotten much better, but it, it does feel like, like somebody has invaded my body. I have no other choice to do. It's like I'm going to die. That's right. So then I, in that case, when I get alarmed like that, don't trust my intuition. But if I'm in a peaceful state, would I still not trust my intuition? No, if you're in a peaceful state, I think that you're probably not going to have an alarmist response to whatever it is that you're being uh, exposed to. So I say pump the brakes if you're anxious, know yourself well. And if you're in an anxious state and you're feeling uncomfortable, pump the brakes, pull back and say, you know what, hold on a minute, or hey, I'll call you back, or... 
I can't give you my response just yet. And just, and if you're arguing with your spouse, just say, I need a minute because what's going to come out of your mouth is going to be that conditioned response against what you were exposed to as a kid, which was terror, fear, and just this projection that something bad is going to happen. So you can't, if you have an anxiety disorder. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, I've been, I've had that question in my mind for about three months and look what happens. I, I meet you and I get that answer. Yeah. So, um, okay. So what about, is there any kind of morning routine that you do? All of my clients, I have them do a morning routine to kind of check in with themselves before they go out into the world. You know, I, I have, they do journaling, affirmations, gratitude lists, exercise, meditation. I'm going to suggest the ones that can't meditate to do one of your protocols. Is there anything else that you would add to that list? Do you have a morning routine yourself? I do. I do my own mindfulness check-in each morning um, because I won't make it from the bed to the shower unless I do that. If I do, it'll be a wonky walk. Um, so, <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I sometimes do gratitude and reality checks. Like in the end, I'm actually okay if I really, really think about it, you know, because in the moment, whatever I'm thinking and I'm worried about is always going to be catastrophic. That's the way people with anxiety disorders respond. Mm-hmm. It's like, God, I have to do this today and I have to do that today. And then I stop and I say, I know, but I've been doing this for a long, long time and I'll get through the day. It may not be perfect, but I will get through the day. It's kind of like the metaphor of the freeway. I always tell people this. So we live in Los Angeles and these days the freeways are pretty clear, but a good uh, metaphor is if I have to get on the freeway and go somewhere, I tell myself, John, no matter what the condition of the freeway is, whether it's jammed, congested or it's moving freely, I'm telling myself right now, I'm going to have a good ride. I'm going to listen to Spotify. I'm going to call Tina. I'm going to call my, <laughs> I'm going to sit in my leather and that's it. And I'm just going to have a good ride. Even without checking my ways or my, my Google maps to see the freeway. Right. I don't, so that's the way you got to do life. You wake up every morning and you say, you know what, whatever the day is going to bring, I'm going to get through it. And I use my exercises to calm down my central nervous system. And I start my day that way. You yeah. make up your mind. My mom used to say that. You make up your mind to have a good day or not. Right? right. Now, not every day you're able to do that. So no one's perfect. And there are right. going to be some days where you're slammed with some kind of awful thing. And then you'll still get through it. But it'll still be at least in, from a different mindset. But the other thing I wanted to tell you is, is there's also three mindsets, which I talked to you about the other day, that are yes. very important. And I want people to think about that every morning, which is, these are, are thinking habits that cause anxiety. If I can be aware of these th- thinking habits, I will be less anxious. Yes. So one of them is excessive need for control, which means I always want guarantees in my head. So imagine waking up and always wanting a guarantee of all the things that you're afraid of. You'll never leave your house. <laughs> it's possible to leave your house. So I say, you know what? That's me feeling scared of uncertainty. I don't need to be... I don't need the guarantee today. I'm just going to go about my day and do it. You know, some people say God will take care of it. I never say that, but whatever the universe, things will get taken care of. Number two is perfectionism where I don't see everything in black and white terms. Mm-hmm. It's like I have to have a perfect day for me to feel good. Mm-hmm. People with black and white thinking they have a good day. And then at seven o'clock in the evening, they burnt their dinner. And all of a sudden I just had the worst day of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's paying attention to that. And then the third one is what I call 
reliance on others for approval or people pleasing. When you walk around feeling like you have to say yes when you really mean no and you don't want to disappoint anybody and you want anybody to like me. So if you put those three together, you have a perfect storm for anxiety or you put those three together and you're aware of that. You play your own detective throughout the day and then I say, whenever you feel anxious again, stop and ask yourself, was this controlling thinking, perfectionistic thinking, or people-pleasing thinking? It will always be one of those three. Remember before I talked about how you can never talk about absolutes? Yes. This one's an absolute. This it's one's, a, yes. Three. And also the wordplay too, John, because what I have found, I used to say, what do I have to do today? And when I wake up and say, what do I get to do today? I immediately feel my energy shift. I feel like my nice. mind relax. It's like, you know what? We're here another day. I get to do this. You know what I'm saying? And, like and, and there was a podcast I was listening to the other day. And, you know, just menial tasks. You know, I think we're always looking for those special days or a special moments, whether it's a vacation or this or that. Well, guess what? Most of our days are strung together by normal everyday experiences. So if we're not really taking advantage of that and like setting our mind up, I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've actually used this and it works like doing, I don't like doing chores and housework and stuff like that. I normally don't have to, but when I do what, you know, to get through it, I used to just go, Oh, just get through it. I'd be just like almost angry. And I turn on music. I make it fun. You know, I turn on music. I'm dancing a little bit while I'm doing it. And it's like taking the situation instead, because we're not then engaging in life. We're just kind of getting through it. We're not thriving, you know, That's and right. I think that, that we need to like right. look at that. And, you know, there are certain people that are, you know, I'm grateful every single day. And especially with this pandemic going on, you know, I want to touch about on that for a minute too, but mm-hmm. everybody has something to be grateful for. I don't care who you are. You have something to be grateful for. If you're on this planet, you have something to be grateful for. So Right. And no one's a failure. Everyone's got something that they achieved at or something that they are proud of. They just have to cultivate it. What I also also use is quotes. I use a lot of affirmations. And when they do their breathing exercises in the morning, I have them say what they want, but I give them suggestions. One is don't believe everything you think because yes. just to think something doesn't mean that it's true. Yeah. So the same way that feelings aren't facts, thoughts are not facts either. Mm-hmm. The one is, this is discomfort, not danger. I, you, that, I read that on your- Big I difference. On, it's so true. It's, so but if you, it's not, for somebody, I, I tell it my might patients, feel dangerous. And I say, what's wrong with feeling uncomfortable for an hour? Feel uncomfortable. Be yeah. careful what you do with that. Another one is, um, you know, uh, uh, it's okay for me to let go of control today. It's okay for me to let go of a little bit of control. It's okay. I'm allowed to do that. They think that if they let go a teeny little bit, all hell's going to break loose and everything's going to collapse. Well, and I'm going to add something to that because I was listening to that part of your book today when I was walking and I thought, because I believe in the universal laws and the laws of energy. And when you are trying so hard to make something happen, it's like when you grasp onto something too tightly, you're actually cutting off the energetic flow. You're actually cutting that off and so that control is when you think it's keeping you safe it's actually keeping you further away from what you actually want to happen well said so what i tell people is whatever you're anxious about is the context what's really making you anxious is not so much covid right now 
I mean, yes, it sucks that we can't go out and that if you're not careful, you could catch a disease and die. That's all true. But the way that I relate to COVID is going to be the key. So again, it's not the context. It's the way I relate to it. If I relate to it in a controlling way, meaning I'm intolerant of any um, uncertainty, I, I will literally not ever be able to leave my house. So I have to relate to it in, again, that balanced, more gray area way. Uh, and that involves so many different things. So getting back to what you originally asked me about, you know, am I better? Am I, you know, how, how have I done since I started therapy a long time ago? I think I've done great, but like everybody else, I have to work it each day. It's not magical. I don't wake up and I'm totally happy to be alive. I say that to my clients every day. Every, time, every day I wake up, I'm just transparent. I am not that person that's like Cinderella where the birds are being in my bathroom yeah, and I singing. I have to do this to get in the right. You know, some days are better than others, but on the whole, I don't know if that's ever going to go away. And, you know, and, and for years I beat myself up. And what I found really helpful, John, is for me, when I come across a situation now that would normally really jack me up, I stop and I give myself a lot of praise. I'm like, man, you would have reacted much different six months ago. Or you would have reacted so much different three years ago. And I don't think we often enough take that time and give ourselves the love and the praise of all the hard work that we have done. Yes. It's not about getting to a certain point. It's because, you know, was it you? I don't, you know, I say this to my clients all the time. I've heard it somewhere. But there's that dash in between when you're born and when you die. And that's all of life. So if I think, we, including myself, I was always like, get to the finish line. Get, well, the finish line is death. Okay, so if all the in between is going to be filled with dread, dreading to do this and dreading to do that, because like I said, everyday tasks are, they can be dreadful and you're just getting to the weekend or you're just getting to the end of the night where you can put on a show and then go to bed and start it all over again, right? So I think it's that appreciating how far you've come. And I heard recently, well, wasn't that recently about confidence. Confidence is not about achieving that grand um, project that you have been, it's all the steps in between that give you the confidence. It's not the actual right. achievement of, of finishing it. It's all those steps of doing it in between. That's right. So I like that. So that, that harkens back to what we talked about before, which is the brake pumping. You brake pump because you have to stop and remind yourself that you've actually done okay and you're doing okay and things are fine, even though inside you might be churning. That's similar to what we discussed before, which is where when first when people first have anxiety, that their reaction is usually going to be a very negative one. It's going to be a protective one, and it won't always be pretty. And so that's another brake pump to pull back. So in general, it's like if you have a central nervous system that tends to be a little bit overactive, the way people with anxiety disorders have, you have to teach yourself to be able to stop and slow things down. The mindfulness slows it down. CBT slows it down, and it's called what you and I were talking about the other day. I call it process orientation. Yeah. I slow everything down. Everything has a process. You'll get to it. Do you know how hard it is to, to tell somebody who's a perfectionist that you don't have to get everything done today that has to be done today? Can you practice and save the one thing that doesn't have to be done today to do it tomorrow? Uh, yeah. I, 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 I cannot do that. And so teaching them how to do that uh, over months and months, they say, oh my God, that was such a huge lesson for me when I can do that. I can just feel myself, give myself permission to postpone something. Mm -hmm. So I mean, uh, 
compromising the quality of your work, but process orientation is slowing everything down and understanding that you have to give yourself compassion and that you have to give yourself some patience. The opposite of that is the big three, control, perfectionism, and people pleasing. That's called results orientation. Yes, so you, that's so, what we talked about. And that right. So when you and I wake up, <laughs> when you and I wake up, and when we're anxious, we are in the throes, in the epicenter of results orientation. Yeah. That can really, really damage us if we're not careful because our central nervous system is super activated and it's in protection mode. It's yes. in protection mode. And we have to teach it how to go to process. But John, also what we had talked about on that too is that there's always the yin and the yang because you said, Tina, that might be one of the reasons you are where you are is because right. of that. So, I mean, w- whenever you're feeling, everybody listening to this and going, mm-hmm. oh God, I've got a long road, this is me. But, you know, there's always an upside to everything. So, you know, if you are the result and you, or, or you are a perfectionist, it is serving you somehow. So don't always just focus right. on how it's not serving you. Look at how it's serving you too. That's right. I wrote an article, uh, I think on the Huffington Post or Psych Central, that is surviving mental health issues. Am I, am I unique or a freak? And it talks about how, let's say, if you do suffer from anxiety and you are the type of person that's wired like you and I, there are a lot of benefits from that. In other words, I don't think I could have built the kind of practice that I built, thank you, um, without my perseverance, my attention to detail, my fear of failing, mm-hmm. a sense of, of control and my perfectionism. So um, I needed that. So you need all those things, but sometimes anxiety can take you to the other side and when you're on the the deep end of that spectrum, life is miserable. And as you said, life is not worth living that way. That's not living. That's just surviving. And you know, another thing that you said, which is one of my favorite quotes, quotes by Socrates is, is an, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. That's yeah. been one of my favorite quotes um, all along. I have clients and myself included, you know, where I go, 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 go. And then I can get to a point where I'm either so overwhelmed with everything I have to do that I get into this paralysis I, I, I'm now able to calm myself down in different ways, but somebody like that who gets into that paralysis mode that says, I can't do anything. What would be something you would suggest for them like as a first or second right. or third step for them to just get moving again? Well, remember, psychologically, if we look at the, the meta message in that, someone who's in, in that paralysis is, again, in the throes of deep results orientation. They're so overwhelmed with whatever it is that they're worried about, that they need help to sort of sort out that thinking a little bit. They need a little support. They need a little bit of TLC maybe, but they just have to slow down. And I would suggest focusing on things you do have control over. Um, if, you, if you want to talk about COVID-19, limiting your exposure to the media, we're talking about trying to ma- maintain. I just want to make sure everybody heard that because I don't watch the news. You know, I heard, um, what was it, Tim Ferriss, uh, I listened to so many people, but he was saying, I never listen to the news. And he says, if there's something worth hearing, I will hear about it. Because for me, especially during this time, I do not think it's a wise thing to do. I think you can check in once a week. I think that's plenty. But people that wake up to the news and are listening to it all day long, I I don't think there's an upside, do you? No. I say stay up to date, but don't saturate. Oh, I like that. You have to exercise uh, healthy, you know, um, media hygiene, news hygiene. You just have your TV on and just listen to the constant COVID statistics and all that stuff. You can't do that. So 
that's part of all of that. But I sort of digressed a little bit. You were asking about somebody who goes into overwhelm, someone who is in paralysis. And I think that they are too much at that time and they need a, a break. They need to sever whatever it is that they're doing in that moment, pull back and take a different direction. And some of that is going to involve, you know, who am I hanging out with? What am I doing with my days? Am I taking some me time? Um, am I using some mindfulness and meditation? Am I doing fun things for myself? People forget to do all those things and then the anxiety now. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I write that in my first book. I say practicing opposites. So I had a client today, for example, that was like, you know, I don't want to meditate. I don't want to do that. And I said, you know what I have found? The more that I have resistance to doing it shows me I need it the most. When I don't want to journal, that's when all the shit comes. Sorry shit comes out. It really exactly. does. And it's actually the most cathartic and, and therapeutic for me. So just remember that and it's just right. that first step because it's only that first step, John, because don't you find yes. that? Because yes. the second step's easier. I mean, they're little ones. They're not big ones. You know, so if you are in that paralysis mode, just taking that first step right. will get you to the next one. And before you know it, your day will unfold differently. Action has to precede motivation. And I always say, move a muscle, change a thought. Oh, yeah. I love that. You have to move. And so uh, it might just be a couple of mornings where that happens. But after you do it on a regular basis where it is law in your head that you're going to get up and you're going to journal or do whatever it is that you're going to do, after a while, it just becomes much easier. Right. Because your, your body has much more motion going. You need, you need motion and movement. Absolutely. What, I don't want to go too far into this, but how important is um, what you eat and exercise in regards to depression, anxiety? Well, as we know, it's very important. You know, a lot of people believe that it's all about what you put in your body, you know, what you eat and stuff like that. So for me, I have to be careful with what I eat. Um, I can't eat too much sugar because it revs me up. I have to stay away from caffeine. I love coffee, but I haven't had a cup of coffee in maybe 20 years. Mm. You know, that involves sodas, you know, Coca-Cola, Squirt, all those things that have- Soda, by the way, is like putting plastic. I mean, that's probably the worst thing you put in your body is soda. True. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then making sure that you eat plenty of proteins and you're not just, you know, loading up on carbs, although you do need carbs. So again, balanced diet, everybody knows that. But yeah, what you take in, also drugs and alcohol, you know, if you're taking medication and you're also using- Alcohol, yeah. If you, if you do both, that's, that can be lethal. Yeah, and you're compromising the efficacy of your medication. Right, exactly, because it can dull it, correct? Correct. Yeah. But the main thing is, is if you eat balanced meals and you're sleeping well, these days you must get outside. You must let the light touch your body. You need to let your eyes perceive light. When your eyes perceive a lot of light, it secretes... Uh, chemicals in your brain that give you energy. When your eyes perceive darkness, it secretes chemicals that gets you ready for sleep, like melatonin. Oh, so, that's so interesting, because when it's getting, yeah. like in a rainier, I just want to go in my bed and get under the covers and like binge watch. Right. So true, okay, so right. that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So being outside, not necessarily directly in the sun, you can be in the shade, that helps depression. Um, and uh, it's going to help your sleep because it's going to keep your circadian rhythm on, on clock. And I had uh, Dr. Um, Gundry on last week, and he was talking about, I said, three supplements, whatever, 
that you'd absolutely have everybody take. The first one he said was, and it's not the first time I heard it, is vitamin D. What you get from being in the sun, yeah. What you get from being in the sun. I, and I've heard, I'm not going to go into that, but I've heard arguments that taking a supplement and actually being in the sun are not the same things, that you actually need to be in the sun. You know, not to say that you wouldn't wear sunscreen, but it's just, you, right. need, you need that. Okay. Uh, right. Let's see. You know, one other thing I wanted to tell you is, is remember the, the combination of the cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, again, restructuring your thinking, and the um, mindfulness work extremely well together because you need both. In other words, you have the rational mind that's always thinking irrationally when you're scared, and then you have your central nervous system being activated by those negative thoughts. And so you could do all you can with the CBT, but your body is still super anxious. So self-regulation skills is something they're teaching kids in schools. Um, they have more classes on self-regulation now. It's kind of a new thing. It's teaching you to develop a new relationship with discomfort and pain. That sounds crazy to people. John, this has been one of my like passions. Yeah. I'm so passionate about this. Like the, the, our, our school system, I believe, is just so outdated. It has not evolved. Right. The curriculum is like, how is this helping our kids? You know, I mean- they don't learn how to live, you know, it's like right. it'd be much better to equip them with tools that they can use going forward mm -hmm. in their life. Okay. So everybody, you know, if you need science or you need math or whatever it is that you need to go on to college and become graduates or this and that. But I think the basic skill is learning how to, right. to be with, not, yourself, to be with yourself. It's not masochism or sadism at all. It's, it's taking three to five minutes of the moment where I feel the distress and doing those exercises that I talked about. Yeah. Because when you do that in those three minutes or five minutes or 20 minutes, you build um, distress tolerance skills. And as you know, if you, if you haven't started mm. doing that, since it, it's not a habit you um, accumulated when you were a child. It's like, mm. you know, I mean, I do, I coach and you're uh, it's like when, with my clients, it's like peeling the layer back you know, after 50 years, as opposed to that already being ingrained. And there's always going to be challenges going on through our life, exactly. but it's like, but, you know, yeah. Okay. I always tell my patients when they're really anxious in the moment, I say, okay, let's be anxious together. Just talk to me about how anxious you are. Yeah. Oh, I need to get up. I need to do this. I need to smoke a cigarette. I got to get out of here. I got to call you back. And I say, no, 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 don't do that. Just stay with me for five more minutes. Talk about it. Let's do the breathing together. And every single time it, it, it passes probably. So if they start doing that on their own, it builds confidence in the brain that, you know what? I didn't have to take that Xanax or that Clonopin because I actually brought it down on my own. Right. That's the hardest right. thing to build because everybody right. reaches for something. Because I think that's how we stay stuck is if we feel like, gosh, I know I need to do this. I know I need to move forward. And then every day it's like, you make a promise to yourself that I'm not going to do it that way. And you do. Mm -hmm. That's almost worse than not promising yourself. I mean, I found that a lot in my life. It's like, if I didn't promise myself something, I was okay. But if I promised myself and I failed, I got further down in the ditch. Well said. Exactly. That's exactly So, So takeaways for people at, you know, this, this time of uncertainty with there's people that are without jobs. There are people that are in abusive relationships. Uh, there are people that, you know, can't feed themselves. There are people that are, you know, they are in such small quarters. I mean, any takeaways that you have 
for, it's a blanket statement, I know, I probably didn't like, you know, it is a blanket statement, but is there any, any takeaways for people that are really suffering right now in this time of uncertainty? Again, it sounds corny, but when people start to understand that all of us are in the same boat, it's not even this country, it's the whole world, and it's just a new thing, it's like being in war times, and that the trick is not going to be anything other than you working on your fear of uncertainty, because we don't know when this is going to end. We think that it's a little bit better, but we can't say it's an isolated incident. We can't say we know when it's going to end. So it's all about getting through it each day. And it's, it's corny, but 12 step started. I don't think it's corny at all. In fact, one day at a time. So it's really one day at a time. So maintain normalcy. Right. And I think it's actually a time for, you know, it's for, this is what I've said. I think it, it either allows you, you, you take it however you want. It's either an opportunity to reset, to reevaluate what your priorities are, whether you're happy in your relationship, whether you want a new job, whatever it is, or, or it's, you're, you know, you're going to go the other way. Yeah. And so, and it's again, picking up hobbies, doing some work around the house, the main one I tell people is monitor your emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning is a term we use where I'm thinking about the future or tomorrow or in five minutes based on how I feel right now. So if I'm really upset and scared about COVID-19 in the future, I'm going to think about everything else that way. I'm going to be in emotional reasoning. So monitor emotional reasoning and try not to make big decisions or even little decisions in your life based on how scared you are about COVID. You have to try to separate the two. People can do that. That separates us from the animals. You know, animals are, they run on instinct as far as we know. When they want to mate, they mate. When they want to eat, they kill. We can stop and actually, again, pump the brakes, pull back and separate those thoughts and give ourselves a chance to get through the day a little bit better. We can do that. Do you think we attract what we fear? Give me an example. Well, if your thoughts of, you know, I don't, I don't want to run out of money. I don't want to run out of money. I mean, that is the law of attraction. I just want to know your kid. Oh, I see. If you think about something long enough, then eventually. Then you're going to attract it to yourself. I think, yeah, I think that I can make my, well, let me put it to you this way. I think I know. Or how I'm to... not going to be able to trust this person. I know I'm right. not because in the past that these people have never been, you know, do you think that there's something to that? Um, I don't believe that there's cause and effect with my thoughts, but I do believe that I can create a really bad day for myself. I can say, you know, this new person that started to work with me, I don't trust them and they're not good for me. And so I'll be looking for that instead of trying to look in the good in them. So I think that we can do that. I think you can attract fear and negativistic thinking based on how you assess something, maybe prematurely. Right. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on and you're doing your patients now through Zoom. Unfortunately, it's all Zoom or yep. telephone. Okay. I don't know when, you know, I don't know when I'm going to open up my office again in Brentwood, hopefully soon. Okay. It's a big office. It's got big windows. We'll all be wearing masks. We'll be six feet apart. I don't know how that's going to work, but. I think this might be the new norm and it might be like best yeah. for everybody, you know? It's not going to be for a while. Okay. So. so both of your books are out. I've only read the, the one, which I highly, rec highly recommend. And the other one is your, memo your memoirs, and I'm going to read that one. Uh, where can people find you? What's your website? So you can go to johnsillimpars.com, and that's got the links to both books. And that's um, going to be below, too, yes. Or you can go to Amazon. They're both available on Amazon. 
the podcast, we usually do once a month. So now we're going to do two to three times per month. Yeah, you're going to do more than once a month. Yeah. <laughs> I know. With your That's me going, you're going to do more than one a month. <laughs> with your encouragement and your help. And maybe, you know what? You'll be my guest the next sure. time. Sure. There you go. We'll, be, we'll collaborate. Because, again, you're a great example, as I told you, of a very high-functioning person. Thank um, you. It's gone through a lot. Like, I never met a strong person with an easy past. You've been through a very lot. Very true. And look at all the stuff that you've done in your life. It's, it's yeah. quite remarkable. You know what you're like? You're like that, you know, the candle metaphor. You're like the candle that, think about it, a candle can light, one single candle can light a thousand other candles without ever losing its power. And in fact, that gives me power most of the time. Right. It really does. One candle, I can light a candle that's being held by every person in the whole world, 750 billion people. I don't know how many. So that's how you are. You're that candle. You don't lose your energy by giving. No, um, yeah, I get, that's where I get it. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I really, I, yeah, I, I, that's, that's why I do what I do. That's why you do what you do. And I, I have a feeling you're the same way. You're a brighter candle than me. I'll say that. I'm a, <laughs> I don't think so, John. Yeah. But I'm going to meet you in person. So um, anyway, thank you so much for being on the show. And then also psych it up. That's on your YouTube channel, which is it right. called Psych It Up or is it under your right. name? Right, three, three words, Psych It Up. And it's got a lot of videos on there. It's yes, got mindfulness. I was watching them today. It's got yeah. CBT videos. It's got some political videos. So, you know, put those aside for now. Um, I, I watched them. <laughs> <but> the <laughs> mindfulness one um, has a, a brand new one out right now which is talking about mental health stigma. And it really looks at mental health stigma in the black and Latinx Hispanic community, which is much worse than the stigma in the white uh, community. It's very interesting. Yeah. Very that's interesting. You too, you touch on like so many different subjects. That's what really, that's one of the reasons that I'm very impressed by you. Just one, but yeah. Thank you. The I one we did before that, that was my favorite. It was the psychological reasons for racism. Um, Yes, I saw that one. I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, it's, well, no, it's not. A, yes, it is a video, too. It's a video and a podcast. Yeah, I yeah. saw the video. I saw yeah. the title. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So thank you for joining us this time. If you've not subscribed to my YouTube channel, it's Tina Marks TV. Uh, my podcast is Transparent with Tina. Hopefully you will join me there. And um, if any of you would like to be on it as a guest, uh, just let me know. And I appreciate all comments. Okay? That's how we grow. And that's how I can do a better show for you, which is the reason I'm here. Take care and I'll see you next time.